Welcome to Teachers in the Dungeon. I am Tom Gross, and as always, well, I guess not as always, we've done a couple solo shows here recently, but here is Dan Ream. Generally with you, yes. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, I don't know if you noticed here in the dungeon that the uh, giant spiders have been doing a really nice job of uh, spinning some snowflake decorations. And, uh, <laughs> and I know I had a rough time last week with the goblins, but I just want you to know that I checked on them and they are in a nice winter nap with uh, visions of raw meat dancing in their heads. And I know I messed that rhyme up and, and everything, but they're, they're just relaxed. They're just I think relaxed. you're the raw meat, Tom. Well, <laughs> maybe last week, but not now. So, all right. Well, enough talk about the goblins and the dungeon. We have a guest with us tonight. I'd like to introduce everyone to the co-owner of Oddfish Games. Also, educator and creator of Adventure Sense. I'd like to welcome to the dungeon, Jen Howlett. How are you, Jen? I'm doing very well, thank you. Would you like me to introduce myself? Oh well, <laughs> I was about to, I was about to say. Tell us a little about bit about yourself. I just gave you. Uh, you've got three. Sounds like three big parts to your life. So mm-hmm. yeah, tell us a little bit about those. So I went to school and majored in social studies education and ended up as a special education teacher by mistake. So I was (laughs) filling out a form and I I didn't have my certification yet. And I was looking for a teaching aid job and I checked off what I thought said social studies aid. And I accidentally checked off special education aid and (laughs) got a call. They needed a person. I needed a job. And I started working with a classroom full of students with multiple disabilities and or severe disabilities. And I got hooked because I realized that the amount of difference I could make in even if it's a small group of kids' lives was really huge and that it made me feel good and it's something that I wanted to do with my life. So since then, I spent a lot of time working in disability services. I worked as a special education teacher because California really needed special education teachers and didn't care if they were credentialed in special ed. So I... I then went from that to back into disability services and then spent about 12 years training staff who work and serve adults and children with disabilities and looking for ways to help them create self-directed and fulfilled lives. So, and then I kind of got really excited about the the digital education revolution and um, started working in instructional design. So right now, what I do for my my day job is I help develop multimedia elements and gamification, as well as just general instructional content for online classes, math right now specifically. And at some point, we 
my husband and I were just on the side trying to get our kids to play role-playing games with us. And they both love video games. And we were trying to create, we were trying to really entice them with like multi-beating and sounds and we had sirenscape going and we had, we had like visuals up and maybe even some lighting cues. But I thought it would be really nice if we could find some candles or something that would be like adventure sort of candles. And I couldn't find anything. Like if you wanted to go delving through laundry piles or chase people down through strawberry fields, you could find something kind of sweet and (laughs) nice. But that's not typically where we would go on adventures. And so I I was looking really hard to find something and there wasn't much out there yet. And so I grabbed some aroma beads and some oils and started playing around with it. And and we thought, hey, maybe if we want to do this, maybe some other people want to do it too. So we threw it up on Kickstarter. It was like a low cost, just, you know, kind of silly Kickstarter. And we were successful and people really loved it. And that was the start of our company. Right now, we have several different products. We have Adventure Scents, which are scent special effects for games. And those are in several formats. But then we also have a couple of RPG accessory books. So one of them is called How to RPG with Your Cat, which you can use to um, make any role-playing game one that your cat could be part of. We also have Cooking with Dice that turns your kitchen into a role-playing game. And we have a series of interconnected gaming tools called the Solar System, which includes Radiance, Luminous, Shine, and Radiance Advanced that are designed to support solo gaming, GMing, and basically writing your role-playing game into a novel. Wow. You guys are busy. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to talk about some of these things. But first, before we get to that, we always like to ask our guests what your RPG origin is. Where did you start? What kind of, what game system did you begin with? Who brought you in? Anything like that. So tell us a little bit about your history of RPG playing. Well, I would argue that it all started back with the choose your own adventure books, because that, that was like my first little entry point into interactive fiction, but it was college. My freshman year, I was friends with a lot of guys and they it turned out a lot of them were into role-playing games and my boyfriend was one of them and I went to a role-playing game and I thought it was really cool. And I was a really, really bad rules lawyer. That was kind of what I was known for. So it was real fun to be with that first year playing role playing <laughs> I've eased up a little over time, but I just remember having a fight about whether or not I could pick certain types of plants playing Middle Earth, the role-playing game. So that was the first system we played. And there was this whole, there was a whole chart that said you could get these plants if you rolled this thing. They were like, yeah, we're not going to a place where you can get these plants. And I'm like, well, technically, actually in the book. (laughs) So, yeah. So I kind of deserve any bad sessions that happen when I run games now because I asked for it. (laughs) Nice. So I'm curious, what what do you run with your kids? Or have you convinced them to... Uh, That's what I was going to ask, too, is were you successful? Did the scents do the trick? Yes, actually, on and off. So the last one we played, like my husband runs some, sometimes I've run some, sometimes sometimes we'll split it up and, you know, take on half the responsibility and, and co-run a game. But uh, the last one we did was a few months ago, we were doing one called Willowwood that was basically an adventure where there's like a big deep mystery that they were trying to solve. And I think we got like 
five, it was those five feet games where you end up like walking five feet because everybody's talking and deciding and planning so much. So I think we, we made it through like three sessions of that and then like some other extracurricular activity kicked in. So we've been doing it off and on and um, we also role play with friends. But I, I have to admit that after a certain point, we stopped using the adventure sense in the games because we had made the mistake of dragging one of our kids in to help us make adventure sense and they can't stand them anymore <laughs> they're like the whole garage smells like these i never want to smell this smell again but we do use it when we're playing with other people so we've, we've that was our original goal and we completely ruined it by turning it into a business <laughs> do you uh still produce everything uh, the the scents yeah. out of your garage yep everything's in our garage yeah it's wow. a very crowded garage. So yeah, we use print on demand for the books. We worked with a company in China, like everybody else, to produce anything that was cards and, and boards for the solar system stuff. But we still make the beads. We we basically get unscented aroma beads in bulk. And then we combine the fragrance oils that we source out and colors so that each bead has its own scent. And then we actually mix beads of different scents into the containers to create different adventure locations. So right now, I believe that we have 80, I want to say, different adventure locations that we've represented. I I must have missed a page. I counted 60 on your site, and I wondered if it was uh, yeah, more than that. Yeah, we usually have some limited time-only scents that we, we make once, and then we just sell them at conventions, and then we usually lose the recipes afterwards <laughs> and then start over again the next year. How much time do you have to devote to that? Um, originally, it was a lot. So I was I I was working contract work and and I'd say I was doing it like half time, like 20, 30 hours a week of doing adventure sense and the marketing was a lot and you know um, some of the business admin was a lot, but it took a long time to make stuff. But now we're really lucky. We've we've hired somebody who's able to help us and ship them out and do some of the stuff that we don't have time for. Cause now my husband and I are both working full time and it's hard to squeeze running a business. Oh. In there. Especially if we also want to create new products, which is kind of why we wanted to have a game business in the first place. Wow. I was, I was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're juggling a lot of, <laughs> a lot of pins. <laughs> so I'm curious what the research and development days look like when you're creating a new scent how do you go up? So do you decide what scent you want first and then start mixing? Or do you mix thinking, oh, these might be cool. And then you get the scent and then you name it. How, how does that all work? A little bit of both. So one of the things that we do is at the various places where we source some of the cooler fragrance oils, anytime they come up with something new, we get samples of that so that we have them on stock on site. And then you know, when we're ready to, to start making something and usually in preparation for convention season, when we're ready to make those limited time only scents, we, you know, explore and experiment with them. They don't smell the same out of the bottle as they do once you mix them with the oils. So we do that and we see how they kind of breathe. And so we know what we have to work with. But for me, what really makes the most sense is to think about where adventures take place, where are some of the settings in stories, where are some of the settings in movies, and obviously in role-playing games that we don't already have represented. And is there something about them that's different enough from another location that we could use sense to make you feel like you're there? We get a lot of ideas too 
at conventions because we set up sniffing stations where we have all of our scents out available for people to smell. And so people will be like, oh, do you have a dungeon scent? And we'll be like, yep. And then they'll go through three or four other scents. And then we'll say, yep, we've got every scent you can think of. And then they'll say another one. And we're like, oh, maybe that's a good idea. A rose <laughs> garden. Hmm, we don't actually have a rose. Nothing with roses. So once we have the ideas and once we have some of the fragrance oils to work with, it's basically a matter of just mixing things together and putting them under different people's noses and saying, does this smell like this to you? Does it need more this? Like, you know, is this orky enough? Does it need more like gym socks? <laughs> kind of smell more of a funky cheese i don't know more smoke so so i'm, I'm so glad you added that part because that's exactly what i was picturing it to be like yeah that <laughs> people is. people sitting around talking about what does an orc smell like right and we can't do it all at once because your nose will burn out and you'll stop being able to kind of pick up all of the different levels of fragrance mm. and so some parts of your smell will burn out and so everything will start smelling the same i ran a campaign that, or another session for a group I'm uh, DMing for this weekend and had them out. Actually, I, I wasn't going to use them this session, but I had them out to keep a map flat and yeah. all the guys grabbed them. And it's like, what's yeah. that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so I had, I had, I had putrid dungeon. I had, uh, or putrid, uh, sewer, mm-hmm. horse stables yeah. and <laughs> a couple of those that yep. they were just, so they were very intrigued by the whole thing. I, I can't wait to actually bring them in and use them with uh, with my students. Both Tom and I run DM uh, DM mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons for some students, and I'm looking forward to bringing in and seeing their reactions too. Um, but w- one question I had kind of related to that: what what kind of feedback have you gotten? Any what's what are some memorable responses from folks? Well, I think it's really interesting when we, especially when we get to see people in person try things out. There's like two types of people, the people who come up and are like, ooh, stinky smell. I'm going to go smell these pretty smells over here. And then there's the people who come over and are are feeling kind of like they want to fight. So so they're like, give me the, the, the worst smell. Like, yeah, these aren't going to be bad. I know they're not going to be that. Just give me the worst smell. And every once in a while, someone's like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. And so sometimes we'll hand them a second one and like, try this one. And everybody has different things to trigger their gag reflex. So fishing docks, to me is the worst of our smells because it smells kind of like rotting fish. And I'm just super sensitive and nauseous about that. That's the one, that's the one thing that we think may have made somebody throw up once because (laughs) the other thing that, that people really like to do at the, at the booths is people come up a lot of times in groups or pairs. And sometimes one person's not paying attention. The other person's at the table. And like people have this like natural instinct when they smell something bad to want to turn around and make somebody else smell that bad thing, oftentimes without telling them that it's going to be a bad smell and somebody thinks they're dropped up next to a candle shop and it's like not a pretty smell. And somebody did that to his like eight months pregnant wife. She was like, ready to and she just turned around and ran for the bathroom. And I'm like, Oh gosh, we've done something (laughs) evil on the planet today. (laughs) But at the same time, the thing that the thing that I really enjoy the most is when people pick up something and they're like, this reminds me of fishing with my dad. So that oh. same fishing dog smell that I'm like, Bleh. somebody else is like, no, this like this smell, the wizard's tower has pipe tobacco and sage in it. And a lot of people are like, this reminds me of my grandpa or, oh, yeah, I can I can just remember that like 
scents are things that sometimes in our memories cut through some of the conscious memories and go straight to unconscious kind of emotions that you have around things. So I really like seeing people emotionally affected and, and like pause. And I like seeing somebody travel to a different place, like right in front of me. That makes me really happy. Isn't it amazing how the brain works that that connection is there? I would agree. There are certain things I'll smell that immediately throw me right back to being five or 18 or whatever, a very specific place. And it could be good smells or bad smells or good memories or bad memories. And of all of the scents that we have, including things like putrid sewers, like we don't have a single scent that doesn't have at least one fan that thinks that it really doesn't smell bad. And actually it smells kind of good. And do I, am I like, is that like embarrassing for me to, to ask that? And I'm like, no, no, there's always, there's always people who like the bad smells just because that's a good, good memory for them. Or like people process sense physiologically differently too. And, and so something that smells good to you may not smell good to somebody else. And we try to stay away from having too many of like really pretty, lacy delicate floral scents because those are easier to obtain like there's other ways to get those we try to source oils and find ways to create more interesting and unique locations and it and it just reminds me when i was a kid we had scratch and sniff stickers and they'd have like they'd have the stinky ones they have things like fresh cut grass and they'd have popcorn and (laughs) i forgot about those you're right yeah i'm a gateway drug to professional scenting (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love that that story that you know someone says that this reminds me of you know someone i think that's really cool and just as a rpg player I, I wonder, and in, in, if you haven't, how long it will be until someone smells something and they say, "Oh, this reminds me of my my friends, my D and D friends," because they <laughs> because they attach it to the game, you know, because yeah. that that scent attaches it to the game. That would be yeah. that would that would yeah. be super cool. That would be cool. We've had a lot of people come up and say, "This is what my character smells like," or you know, <laughs> this is where our campaign has been happening this whole time. And you know, this is it. It's in a can. So I wish I, yeah. I wish I'd picked up the fishing dock when I've, I play a Triton. It would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah. It can really go either way for people. It can like, some people are like, Oh no, no, it's fine. It's not a great smell. And then some people are like, love it. And then some people, a lot of people hate it because <laughs> it's really. <laughs> Do you have a top selling scent? At the moment, I would say it's probably Dank Dungeon. And that is that probably has less to do, because we do a lot of sales online. So that probably has less to do with, with the actual scent itself as the name of the scent, because that feels like a good universal scent that you could use anytime, anyplace. Right. Mm, yes. um, when we're at conventions, we t- tend to sell, I'd say, more of the scents that sound like they'd smell bad or the scents that are pretty, just kind of depending on what somebody's looking for. Well, I could go on and on with this, but I we've got a lot of other really cool things that you folks do. So, Tom, do you want to jump over anything else you want to ask about the scents, or do you want to jump on to the kitties? No, I, yeah, let's. I'm, I'm always ready to jump to the kitties. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, do you have any uh, any uh, creatures in your office at the moment? I'm surprised that I don't. Nope, nobody in here right now. We have we have two cats, two dogs at the moment, and usually they're all 
sitting around in this area here, but I think they're downstairs. <laughs> I remember the kids. So it was it was the Wednesday night of trade day mm-hmm. that they have the I forget what they call it, but it's where like all of the you know yeah. a certain ven- a number of vendors can set up, and they have exclusive time with educators and other. Uh, librarians and other uh, sorts like that. And so I remember we were, we were heading around, we were walking, we were walking with Adam Watson and I'll never forget looking over and seeing this book that had a cat on it mm. and said in some fashion of words that I'm sure it's the title, but you know, th- that you can play D and D with your cat. Yep. I'm pretty sure I did one of those like rubberneck moves where then <laughs> my body followed my, my, my head. And I, and I walked down into that, along your table there and I pulled that off and I just, I just, I didn't pull the trigger. I need to, Uh, I don't have cats anymore. I'm super allergic to them. So I can't, but I love the concept. So tell us a little bit about uh, how that book came about and what the response has been to it. Well, I mean, I think our whole company is an expression of like our family's ADHD because we're kind of, it, it all just kind of is like, what if we took a this and put it together with a this? That could be interesting. It has nothing to do with anything else we're selling, but we could make it and that'd be fun and let's do it. We have cats and they like to jump on the table and join in our games. Yeah, we have to do the thing where if we're playing a board game like Arkham Horror that's going to take multiple multiple days to complete, we have to take a picture of it because there's no way to protect it. It, it will just get knocked all over and... And we won't be where we were left off. But yeah, I, I think it was just one of those, like, could we, we have all these roll charts that let you do different things. Like, would there be a way to use that kind of thing? Like, could your cat, your cat's random and they're kind of like agents of chaos. Could you use them instead of a die to play a role-playing game? And I think that was the initial thought there is that, can you take a cat and use it to replace a, replace the dice as a, you know, as a basic mechanic for a role-playing system. So how to RPG with your cat is works as a very rules light system on its own. But I think what a lot of people do is use it in conjunction with another system to either play a game with their cat or to, like I said, use your cat to replace the dice in the game. Basically, you can create a character with your cat. There's all sorts of like fun, adorable little bits in there. But the meat of the book is the roll table or the the action table. So if you want to roll a melee fight, then you turn to the page that says melee and it'll tell you what to do with your cat to prompt your cat. So there's like anything you can think of that you might want to do in a game multiple you know types of games we've got like translations for different systems that like if you want to do something you want to make an intelligence check if you want to make an you know a knowledge check or a lore check there's going to be a prompt associated with that and it's going to have its own table so the prompt's going to be like something like i don't know maybe you set a plate on the floor it has some food on it people food maybe even and then you step away slightly and turn your back and you see what happens and what your cat does then you look on the chart and you try to match up your cat's behavior with one of the 10 lines on the chart and then to figure out what the in-game consequences are. And it doesn't just give you like a number. It tells you kind of this, this was a, it, it'll, it'll do it more like as this was a, like a success that allows you to, you know, expand the range of what you were doing, or this is, you know, it, it, 
it was an successful yet successful yet a kind of unintended effect there. So, um, and they usually are specific enough to make it fun, but general enough that you can apply it to different, like uh, not just adventures and campaigns, but different situations. Thinking which the pets are all coming in now. Yeah, I just saw one start to come in. And the dogs are like, we want to be part of this. <laughs> You're thinking a role playing game is starting. Yeah. So, so yeah, they um. So you can you can create a character and actually have your cat join your party if you want. You can have them create a cat character or a human character, and they'll most likely derail the adventure because they are going to be kind of random, but also because cats are kind of derps. Um, <laughs> but what what also is fun to do is just to every once in a while, let's say the cat jumps up on the table, everybody puts their dice down in that case, and all rolls until the cat gets down have to be cat prompts. So instead of rolling the dice until the cat gets bored and wanders off, you're dangling things in front of the cat. You're throwing bottle caps across the room. Like whatever the prompt is, you're laying technology like a laptop or something on the table to see if the cat immediately sits on it or if they do something else. And, and so it's, it's a way to like, you know, kind of shake things up a little bit. Also a fun way. You can also do it like, play a game one-on-one with your cat and just do it in short bits and work your way through an adventure that way. You can <laughs> even combine it with, with Radiance to solo play a game with your cat. So, How fun is that? Yeah. I'm, well, just trying, I'm sitting here thinking, what would the most popular species be for a cat character? And I can't think that of anything else that they would just want to be a human. Yeah. <laughs> or tabax- tabaxi. Yeah. yeah, or a tabaxi, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe a cat human or a cat. They might want to be a cat because <laughs> I think they have an overinflated, you know, concept of themselves. And <laughs> right, downgrade right. to human. <laughs> exactly. Why would I choose anything else? Right. Feline <laughs> for sure. Right. <laughs> it, it is a a concept that never occurred to me, and you describe it, and I think, as you said, what a perfect way to shake it up. What a perfect way to add just a little twist to mm-hmm. a game that you're already familiar with and enjoy. And if you've got a cat that you're fond of, what a you know perfect way to combine it. That's really, I could see where that could be very popular. Well, and we, we were partially, uh, probably even mostly done with it when COVID hit. And it mm-hmm. took us a while to actually finish it, which is too bad because it would have been, just what some people needed right when you suddenly are stuck in your house, don't have anybody to play with. It's also a really fun thing to play online. We've done several Zoom sessions with people playing with their cats. And it's actually a lot easier to do like a one hour Zoom session and where your cat's kind of maybe participating or maybe not, but you get to see everybody else's cat. <laughs> so that could be a lot of fun too. It can liven up some of those Zoom games, especially, I mean, we were using it a little bit during quarantine, but but even I think we've got it out towards the end. And, and even then people are very excited about it, which made me happy. Tom, anything else about that before we move on to the, the solar <laughs> oh. system? I mean, I'm just I know you do, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, I'm just thinking about our Friday night session over at your house, Mm -hmm. and we're we're playing down in in the game room with your table, and it's it's inevitable that Madam President's going to make a uh, appearance, and she comes down and she sits there at the stairs and just watches what we're doing. I'm just thinking all the different things that that cat does. I mean, even to the point of the randomness of who's going to pick up the cat first. (laughs) 
<laughs> because she's quite popular when she comes down. Everyone's looking under the table. Is, is, is she by me? Is she by me? And so, oh my gosh, all the all the chances, all the yeah, opportunities. Yeah, you pick up the cat first, then the the cat now rules your character for a while, right? That seems fair. <laughs> oh, I love it. We also have Possession. rules that allow you to incorporate your, your cat in as an NPC or a monster. So that, that's especially fun if, again, they're, they just kind of tend to wander in and wander out. Then, oh, the merchant's here. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you're right, Dan. I could talk about cats for a long time. So, yeah, we probably should move on to a new another product. You, you've described it perfectly that you have products that go in very different directions. But I, I do appreciate the, origi- the originality of them. So I guess I really was struck by Radiance and Luminous. But as you said, there's an entire set of sort of light-related terms of different products that you offer to sort of, I guess, enhance either a, a DM's ability to play or ability to play solo. And and so you you kind of, you gave us sort of the, a, a, a very good, I was going to say, one of the reasons I can tell you are an effective teacher is you were able to very quickly and effectively summarize each of those games right at the very beginning. And I was a little dismayed because I'm like, well, shoot, now what am I going to talk about? You just explained it. But, uh, <laughs> but maybe we can go in a little more detail. So Radiance seems to be one that's a little bit adjacent to your the, the cat mm-hmm. concept. So maybe we could start with that one. Just tell us a little bit more about... Uh, what it does, maybe a little bit about how it works. Yeah, I, th- I think Radiance is actually another really good introvert accessory for role-playing games, just like an RP2 with your cat. We actually released all four products, Radiance, Radiated, Radiance Advanced, Shine, and Luminous, all at once because my husband was brave enough to let us just kickstart everything instead of doing them one at a time, which was very hard, but actually very fun. Radiance is kind of, I'd say, the center of that system because it allows you to take any role-playing game system at all, any role-playing game, and turn it into a solo adventure. It also allows you to, as a GM, construct adventures on the fly during a game and is really nice, I think, when you're doing something like round-robin GMing. So like if you're passing the the hat or passing the stick around to different people to be in charge of running the game, it gives them some some both some structure and some randomness to build off of there, which I think helps spark creativity quite a bit. So so there there are different ways that you can use radiance. You can you can use it in imagine imagination mode where you're just kind of using some of the the randomization of card drawing to spark your creativity. You can use it in campaign mode where you're combining it with the luminous campaign engine and like doing a long-term campaign and putting some structure into that. You can use it in role play and write mode, which is where we pull in shine, which is basically a, a novel outlining tool. And you can use it in a GM optional mode as well or a solo mode so basically it, it uses the same structure as the journey of the hero to set up the structure of your adventure you're gonna draw plot cards and scene cards and i probably just messed up the names of the cards that they are my husband's right across the room and i know he's sitting over there with his teeth clenched oh, <laughs> no, no. headphones must be on then okay um so there's 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 cards that you draw that help you set up 
what you're doing in every step of the adventure. So it's broken down into multiple acts, just like a movie would be or screenplay would be. And then you've got cards that kind of prompt you to establish what's going on in that act. And then you've got cards that you draw in order to figure out like what are some of the nuances of, of what's going on in that scene to make it through and to use this as say a solo play game you have to decide what kind of action you're going to take to address each of these cards and resolve them. So that's the basic structure. And then the part that I think gets really fun is the detail cards. So there's these little teeny tiny cards that come with it. So all all of the different types of cards. So we've got adventure stage cards that those are the ones that break it up into different parts of the adventure. We've got story and path cards. That's what they're called. So you draw story cards and it tells you draw these path cards. And these are kind of like little puzzles that you have to resolve or problems that you have to solve. And so you use take an action and that's the action cards help tie it in with the actual role playing system that you're using. So they help translate from the mechanics of that system to what happens then on the cards and whether you resolve that particular issue. So as you go through resolving each of the path cards, that helps you to resolve then the story cards and that helps you then to resolve the action cards. And then you can move to the next step in the story and eventually kind of go through that progression that you might in a, in a screenplay that you're part of basically that you're acting or that you're starring in. But the detail cards are something that remind me like of Mad Libs. So each of the cards like gives you a lot of information, the story and the, and, and the plot card, sorry, the story and the path cards give you a lot of information about what's going on in the scene and how you can respond to and what your options are. But the detail cards just fill in the blanks at the top and say, it might say, for instance, you encounter a blank and need to haggle with them. And so you're drawing one of these detail cards and you'll either get a word or you'll get an image. And based on how you interpret that word or how you interpret that image, you now have a really specific kind of individual, unique combination of the card and that detail card that makes this reusable over and over again. Yeah, so I'm not as good at explaining that as I am the products that I designed. And hopefully (laughs) my husband won't kill me when he hears this. But that's that's my my slap happy. It's been like six months since the last convention description of those products. Well, the nice thing is you gave us a flavor of what that is like. And then anyone listening can, of course, go to oddfishgames.com to to get a little bit more information and to see some of what the product looks like, if I remember right. Yep, absolutely. So actually a lot of these products spoke to me, but the one that I thought this would make me a better player was actually your Luminous campaign engine. So you you already so you already described it a bit, but I was wondering if you could give us a bit more detail about that one. Yeah, so actually Shine and Luminous are constructed very similarly. They're both helping you to design and outline a story. So in the case of Shine, it's a, it's a little bit more geared towards writers who are doing long-form fiction. And in the case of Luminous, it's more geared towards GMs. So the language is going to be a little bit different. Some of the instructions and even some of the, the way that you construct a story is different when you have to leave room for the input of the players and the direction that they take things. But you can use Luminous either 
to help plan out something at the beginning as you're starting a campaign so that you make sure that you've got your pacing right and that you, you know, you you want to make sure that your individual adventures have like some excitement and satisfaction, but you also want to make sure that you're creating that crescendo across the entire you know, across multiple adventures or even across multiple play sessions. And it also can be fun to have multiple layers of those crescendos where, you know, there's there's this one bad thing that seems to be happening over in, you know, the town to your left, but then there's there's another intriguing thing that's happening in the town to your to your right. And maybe eventually they come and mix together and it turns out that they're all that the same thing and it all gets resolved together. It helps you construct things like that, but it also helps you adapt when players take things in a direction you weren't expecting. So okay. I tend to play a little bit more loosely or when I GM, I tend to, to GM a little bit more loosely than my husband does. He puts a lot of work into constructing like backstories for NPCs and getting images for the, the maps for the places we're going. And then all of our friends are the type of people who are like, what is the thing that would be make the absolute least sense to do right now? That's <laughs> what would be really fun to do. <laughs> And I know I'm like that sometimes. I'm like, you know, the expected thing is obviously that we should just move forward with our swords and attack these guys. But what if instead <laughs> I bribed this, this jailer over here to let all the inmates out and now we have chaos and we may or may not live. I don't care. I'm not I'm not the character. I'm the I'm the player. I'm interested in what might happen and it seems like something my character would do. So um, <laughs> when something like that happens, it's nice to have a way to kind of respond and reconstruct things and and figure out where to go from here. And, I, and Luminous, I think, can help you keep the structure that you're looking for while still leaving things open enough for players to, to jump in. So like to summarize it, it's a, it's, a, it's a set of cards and optional cards that help you draw an outline. It's great if you want to like, you can tack it up on a bulletin board to show your story. You can you know, keep it on your desk or your table laid out, but you can also, you, there's also digital version that comes with it and you can use Obsidian. My husband has like an amazing set of instructions and ways to use the images and, and ways to organize things built into Obsidian for all of the game tools that he's created. I feel like as a, as a DM, that would give me an added layer of assurance to have a design like that sort of in the back of my mind and kind of physically there for me to reference. That's a, that's a really good idea. Yep. And my husband, Mike did a whole bunch of research. Um, he's been writing for years. He's it, what, what he would probably say is that even more than he's an, any sort of expert in writing, he's an expert in delaying writing by going on a rabbit hole search for writing software, the one perfect writing software that's going to make everything easy and smooth. And, and so instead I think he just kind of designed it, but, <laughs> but I, I've used it when I'm working on a time travel story, which is really hard to organize. And I've used that to kind of kind of help me figure out what each player's arc might look like and then how it might all look together. But he did a lot of research on it. And one of the things he looked at, originally, he was kind of focused on the journey of the hero, which is 
very commonly used in, in role-playing games, but he also started looking into some African storytelling traditions and Eastern storytelling traditions and some genre storytelling traditions that don't have the same feel and don't have the same... When you go into a movie and it's a mystery, you you know what what the deal is. You know what the expectation is for that kind of movie. And it's mm-hmm. not the same as an action movie. The The plot doesn't resolve in the same way. The, the information is not provided in the same way. And the expectation of you, the, the viewer, isn't the same. And so if you're running a role-playing game where it's more of a mystery, then sometimes it makes sense to, to shake that up and not try to use kind of the, the the same structure that you might if you were running a game that was more focused on social interaction or was more focused on, you know, combat. So right. there's a lot of options in there too that you can choose from. So Dan, you you started that by saying that's a product that that could help you to become a better DM. See, I was looking at the product list and thinking that there's something there that could probably help me better and that is the cooking with dice, because if if there's any chance of me having a good uh, kitchen experience, it's going to have to go with the roll of the dice. So tell us, I think we got time for one more product highlight. So tell us a little bit about cooking with dice. Yeah, this will be a fast one. So basically, it allows you to gamify cooking. It gives you the context of a of a adventure where you are an adventure chef and you are looking for a job in a world that's kind of like our world and kind of a fantasy world and you end up picking up a job catering for a couple of acid dragons that are hosting a family or not a family a neighborhood party like kind of a cocktail sort of party they want to show up the fire breathing red dragons down the street that are always doing barbecues that they want to make something really nice and so they've asked you to cook an entire meal using and featuring acid they don't want you to use heat more than necessary the focus is on using acid so it includes anything from making ceviche and making like farmer's cheese making your own mayonnaise like all sorts of things that you can do with with acid, whether that's citric or vinegar or something else. So, but the thing that makes it really cool is that as you go, go through the different courses and you're making different, the the different, you might call them recipes. We don't really give you recipes. We give you formulas. And so there are key ingredients in the formula that you can swap out for different things. Like, just like if you were baking chocolate chip cookies, you could replace them with, you know, peanut butter chip cookies. Like that it would, Right. Come out pretty much the same because they're similar. So, so like that, there's a lot. There's several blanks in each of the recipes that you fill in with different ingredients, and then we give you roll charts that you can use to figure out which ingredient you might fill it in or fill in. You're competing or cooperating or working on your own to work your way up the kitchen ladder, like that traditional <laughs> French kitchen ladder, and become the chef de cuisine, and. So there's ways to gain points by being more random and trying more things and being a little bit more crazy. But the, the basic idea there is it's kind of teaching people to play with their food. It's you don't have to follow the recipes perfectly. Pretty much it'll come out OK as long as the ingredients sound OK to you and helps get people a little bit more comfortable. I think it's a lot of fun to do with kids. And it's it's also a fun thing okay. to do like with friends, you know, just as a challenge. Wow. Well, my years ago, my my family's guilty pleasure was watching Top Chef, and yes. what you described kind of reminds me of creating that in yes. your own kitchen. Def- definitely partially inspired by that because I also always watch 
Top Chef and <laughs> And of course, as I'm watching it from home, I'm like, I have made no, you made the wrong choice. Why did you even, you're taking this long plate. You don't have time to plate it. Just put it on the plate. <laughs> right. So it kind of allows you to, you know, be part of that sort of adventure with as much or as little pressure as you would like to have, depending That's on you wonderful. and who you'd like to play with. Wonderful. How fun. So tell us, are there any projects in the works that you can share with us or maybe a date of new sense coming out or anything like that? We actually have always tons of projects in the works. We have everything from I'm working on a, something that's designed to make doing tours around the house a game instead. And I'm kind of stuck on that one at trying to get past the it feeling like chores and more like feeling like a game. But the thing we're focusing on next year is actually we're going to try to take RPG Cat digital and see if we can turn it into an app and then provide people with an ability to like, even if they're not role-playing gamers usually to still do a game with their, that kind of like walks you through an adventure that is more choose your own adventure with your cat that might allow you to play without a cat and instead provide like pre-made cat videos and keep your character, <laughs> keep it, keep your cat's character, keep it going. So we're, we're looking at trying that out because we, we're looking at ways that we might be able to blend digital and physical games. We don't want to lose touch with tabletop gaming because that's really important to us. And But at the same time, we do want to take advantage of some of the new technologies that are out there and figure out like, oh, is there a way to make cool things happen with ChatGPT that still feel ethical and not pointless? <laughs> and that doesn't make the whole game feel pointless. So, so we're playing around that's with like that's like a gateway game. It is. Ease people into role-playing yeah. games a little bit at a time. I like it. We've, we've done, we're, and we're thinking about doing something similar with Cooking with Dice because I think same kind of thing where you might get somebody who's like, oh, a cooking game. And then, oh, suddenly I play D&D with my friends every Thursday. <laughs> it's going to happen. So, yep. We'll lure them in. I'm just sitting here thinking about the cooking with dice and application to a school. When you just mentioned, you know, taking mm -hmm. some of these games to schools, I think I, from what you had described, it sounds like you could take this to a foods class you and can. use it in a unit where you're talking about what, you know, if they're talking about the types of foods that are acids yep. or you're talking about barbecues or the different aspects yep. that I'm sure are, are in the book, that might be a really cool way to introduce some of those concepts in a, in a food club. We have a really cool foods teacher who's, she's really always willing to try something awesome. <laughs> as long as it doesn't bring her too much attention. She's always willing to try it. So that, <laughs> that sounds really cool. I'm going to have to talk to her about that one. Yeah, well, definitely. We made some deliberate decisions, both with Adventure Sense and with Cooking with Dice to make, especially with the the first one, which right now is the only cooking with dice, is to make them compatible with conventions and schools and libraries and places where you can't set things on fire. Maybe you just have a microwave to cook with. Maybe, you know, you don't have the ability to let every kid stand in front of a stove, but you could let every kid make some of that cheese and then put it in the fridge and see what happens to it overnight. So, and with Adventures, since we specifically picked a format that lasts for a really long time, can be stored away, and that doesn't have to be set on fire because you can't bring those into a lot of spaces that people game. Plus, you don't want your drapes to smell like a moldy crypt. <laughs> and you've already got the, we can already buy that. We don't need to right. make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, how much fun. This has been great. Jen, thank you so much for spending your time with us tonight here in the dungeon. And, you know, this is this whole month we've been highlighting great gifts for the holidays and highlighting products that people may not have heard of or haven't come across yet. And so we wanted to to take this time during the holidays to introduce new products to people and uh, try to give some people ideas for, you know, that DM that puts in all those hours during the entire, during the year. And, you know, you should really do something good for that person, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, the guys that put up with you or the women that put up with you across the table all year long too. They, <laughs> they deserve something. And so we've been really focusing on that this month. And this is a great way to kind of wrap up that series of shows for December. So we really appreciate it. Where can people follow you? Where can they continue a conversation? If they have a question for you guys and get purchase all your products. products, where are the best places to go for that? <laughs> You can find all of our follows at, on our website at oddfishgames.com. You can follow us at oddfishgames on Facebook, Instagram, probably still Twitter. Discord, I think. I don't even know what we are on Discord, but it's all on the website and, and, and you can find it there. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jen. Dan, any uh, final thoughts here before we uh, head on out of the dungeon for the uh, Christmas holiday? No, I just have to get online and see how much money I have to spend because I want to get all these things. <laughs> I, know. I know it's so hard. Now this is, this is a good reason for me to say to my wife, I think we ought to get a cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a business expense at some point, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight here in Tun- Teachers in the Dungeon. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you all. We appreciate you listening throughout the year. Until next time, keep rolling those 20s. Or let your cat roll those ponies. We'll see you later, folks. <laughs> that wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website, and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.